0: Hi, and welcome to the Digital Health Roundtable. I'm your host, Matt Cebulski. This is a regular panel discussion held with the brightest minds in healthcare. We hold collaborative conversations devoted to those making care as accessible and as innovative as possible. Stay tuned for a special episode of the Digital Health Roundtable. Hi, and welcome to the Digital Health Roundtable. I am your host, Matt Sabolski. I am here with two very special guests, and we're going to be talking about something very special today. In the meantime, gentlemen, introduce yourselves, tell us what you do, and then I'll turn to some questions.
1: Thanks, Matt. I'm David Berger. I am the CEO of University Hospital at Downstate. Downstate is a safety net hospital in central Brooklyn that's treats an economically uh, disadvantaged population as well as an extremely diverse population.
2: Great, and, and thanks so much for having us on, Matt. Manav, one of the founders and the CEO of Memorial Health, by background, I'm a scientist and uh, started Memorial Health several years ago. It, it's a digital health company that helps digitize and automate clinical workflows uh, and very excited to. Have the discussion.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that you're here. And I'm also glad you're here too, David. I'm going to start with Manav. Uh, Manav, I asked you pointedly, you know, what was the passion behind getting this thing started, Memora Health? And you said this should be as easy for a patient to access their care as it is to text their family member. And you also said, importantly, the biggest place where we fall apart in healthcare, is the last mile of the patient experience. Tell us about why you started this and what your vision is. Absolutely. So,
2: a, a big part of the takeaways in starting Memora were around the fact that, you know, I had spent time in healthcare in a lot of different facets. You spent time on, I spent a little time on the policy side, a little bit of time uh, in in a wet lab setting. little bit of time with exposure to actual care delivery and and, uh, thought a lot for a while that about practicing. And uh, the big takeaway is that we as a society invest billions, if not trillions of dollars every single year into building exceptional facilities to take care of patients and to exceptional therapies that our patients can access. and, and At the end of the day there's still such a large gap between how much we end up investing in infrastructure in healthcare and what the actual end experience for patients is and it's clear that the number one area where a lot of those investments in healthcare fall apart is that last mile of how a patient actually experiences the healthcare system and how they navigate their care and and understand exactly what they need to be doing so we had a good number of firsthand and secondhand experiences of the healthcare system as patients uh, or, or observing, you know, very close friends who went through uh, pretty dramatic patient journeys. And the number one thing that was clear is that there's a ton of infrastructure missing in how our patients are able to navigate the healthcare system and understand their care plans. And if there's one really big thing that we want to accomplish with Bemora and and one of the things that's critical to our mission. It's, can we make it as easy as possible for somebody to navigate their healthcare and understand exactly what steps you need to follow to take control of their health and their outcomes as it is to text a family member or a friend. Uh, and obviously the, the, you know, scale of Memora and the breadth of what we do has expanded since that original, original goal. But a lot of the work that we do now is still grounded in that in that original mission that we set out to to accomplish.
0: Pointed question. Does this improve outcomes? Does having a tool where patients can understand what's next help outcomes? What have you seen? Uh, 100%. It's a great question. And
2: I think one of the, it's kind of silly that, our healthcare system is designed in a way where there's a large disconnect between how implemented and how we evaluate the clinical outcomes that they're having and how we're evaluating the financial outcomes because surface level it's so logical obviously if a patient has more touch points if they have a better grasp of their care if they're more connected to their doctor It should result in better outcomes, and it should be more cost effective for the entire healthcare system because you're preventing all these unnecessary visits. Uh, Patient is understanding all the steps that they need to follow, so they may not skip things in the middle. uh, That may result in prolonging their treatment plan or, or whatever it may be. And the reality is, in different clinical areas, that is not how it actually plays out. So what we end up spending a lot of time on is twofold in how we design a lot of the work that we do, we design these clinical programs that one automate a lot of basic work for care teams that they may be manually doing right now that is not top of license so that they can focus on things that are top of license and spend more meaningful time with their patients. Second, implement these text-based journeys that I would think of almost as these virtual guidelines or a virtual assistant for patients walking them through every single step of their episode and holding their hand through the entire process of what they need to do in their care plan. The way that these programs get designed is one, uh, by anchoring to a specific clinical outcome that we want to achieve. In some cases, that's reducing something like a no-show rate. In other cases, it's preventing a ED admission. In other cases, it's improving medication adherence. So it'll vary by clinical area, but that's the first thing that every program we design is grounded in. The second thing is a financial outcome. How does preventing that unnecessary ED visit actually become more financially efficient for that health system to manage that patient? How does preventing that no-show help generate more revenue for that health system? So we we it doesn't, it's not perfect in every single case, but we try to anchor these programs at this intersection of What is a good clinical outcome and a good financial outcome for the health system and the patient?
0: What happens to patients when they leave your doorstep? And what is it about what Manav is saying that resonates with you?
1: Yeah, so I call the time from someone who's discharged from the hospital until they actually seem by their physician in the outpatient setting as one of the big black holes in medicine. And why do I say that? It's because when you're discharged from the hospital, you get a lot of new instructions in terms of your care. You probably have new medications. You have new self-care. You have to arrange for your follow-up appointments. If you've had surgery, you potentially have a surgical incision to manage and potentially also pain. So all these things, are sort of dumped at you on the time of discharge, you're all expected to do them correctly in order to have a successful recovery. And then you may not be seen a week or two weeks after you discharge from the hospital. The other major issue is that you're giving new medications that you may not have been on before, and you have other medications at your home that you've been taking, and those medications are not reconciled with potentially your new medications, and even the delivery of your new medications may not occur in a timely manner. So there's a huge number of things that occur from the time of discharge until you're seen again that are required to be done and coordinated in order for you or any one patient to have a successful outcome. And if those things aren't done properly, the patient can relapse, for example, if they were for heart failure, they can go into heart failure again, which requires a readmission. Or if they had surgery and these things aren't done, they can develop a wound infection or uh, obstruction and not be able to tolerate their diet and end up back in the hospital. So being able to communicate with the patient and educate them continuously and help them on their recovery pathway is really critical to prevent these adverse events from occurring.
0: When you um, are sitting with your clinical teams and your your other leads of the organization, what does a tool like Memorial Health mean for achieving you know, the responsibility you have to take care of the community you're in?
1: Yeah, so what we were doing before we engaged with Memorial, we actually had nurse practitioners trying to call patients at home uh, on their cell phones to try to find out how they were doing in follow-up. And I don't know about you, Matt, but if I see a number on my phone that I don't recognize, I'm not going to answer it. And we were only reaching about 30 to 40 percent of the patients with, with these calls, and we were occupying the time of caregivers who we needed to realign and better uh, utilize their skills. You know, It's not effective, nor is it cost effective to use nurse practitioners to be making these calls. So by unburdening our nurse practitioners, we could potentially use them for more important uh, things That, and so they could work at the top of the license. Plus, we know through SMS texting, we are much more likely to reach our patients. So our Uh, my team saw this as a way to reach more patients, reduce our readmission rate, and potentially improve our patient satisfaction scores while being able to utilize our caregivers much more effectively.
0: That's wonderful to hear um, and good insight. I will tell you, uh when a number calls me that i don't know sometimes i do answer it cuz i love a good phone call but i think you're right most people unlike me don't answer it uh and they wait for voicemail in order to uh listen and then decide if they interact which is a barrier um david this part of what i'm about to ask you i might delete from the show but um you know you're the leader of this organization um Is it a goal for you when someone leaves that hospital to say, I don't really want to see
1: you back here because we did our job?
0: Or do you want to say, I want to stay connected to you in case you need
1: us? So I I think it's both. I think we want to stay connected and make sure they use the the services wisely. And when I say wisely, uh, coming back to the hospital and being admitted and suffering from the same disease you were treated on your previous admission is probably not using the resources wisely. We want to continue to be engaged. We want to continue to see you in an outpatient setting. We want to continue to improve your health. Uh, And the hospitals are incentivized to make sure that patients aren't readmitted. And value-based care right now incentivizes hospitals to have a decrease in their readmission rates. So it is both financially attractive as well as attractive in terms of improving the health of our population to engage with our patients continuously once they're discharged from the hospital.
0: David, thanks for offering some practical sort of like flavor basically for what using Memora Health has meant for you as a a leader and connecting to your community of of patients that need your facilities and your clinicians. Um, Both of you, what does it mean to digitize and automate a digital workflow? I mean, Mana, you said something really interesting. You were like 80% maybe 60% of a lot of these workflows we have can be automated and they haven't been before. So is that sort of the magic here? Great question.
2: I think that what's really kind of unique and interesting about medicine, at least from our vantage point, is you end up in these cases where there's, in pockets of the industry, these really large pushes for standardization and, and standardized clinical protocols. And a lot of how you know new practices in medicine are invented is also developed around extremely standardized uh, protocols. And one of the things that you appreciate is over time, as those get adopted, there's all sorts of variants that, that is introduced. But 70 to 80% of what is actually at the core of managing Most of those complex patients is still grounded in that initial protocol or still grounded in some standardized practice. We always, I think, as an industry end up with this debate of, oh, we don't want to go to standardization because of how personalized healthcare is, or, oh, it shouldn't be entirely personalized because it's extremely hard to track what is or what is not working. And the answer is neither. The answer is there's a fine balance in the middle in our perspective, which is almost 80-20, where 80% of it is very standardized. It's very systematic. It's very routine. And then 20% of it is still very personalized to the patient. And that's a general rule, right? It varies a lot by clinical area, and it does vary a lot by patient. But that is the core principle that we rely on in digitizing workflows. So we go into a health system, take a ton of existing data around how they manage these complex patients. Uh, We'll take things like phone calls that they're making, uh, booklets that they're giving their patients, clinical protocols that they're following, guidelines around symptoms that they want to screen for, inbox messages, things like that. We ingest all those insights and work closely with the care team to say, hey, of the 100 things that you're doing in a given day to manage this complex patient, these 50 to 60 are very routine or they're very systematic. In some cases, up to 80, in some cases, up to 90, in other cases, up you know 40. But... trying to identify what are the things that are very routine or systematized and then we develop these clinical algorithms that are automating a lot of those steps for the care team so we're kind of digging into the workflow of these individual providers to understand what they do today and understand what steps they're taking over and over and over again that as a result are probably not top of license right and they're steps that you could probably automate and then building these you know, clinical programs and building this entire data repository that allows them to automate those over time, track what's working really well uh, from a data perspective, and then third, free up a lot of their bandwidth or give them a lot of leverage to actually spend time with the patient or to spend their time actually making clinical decisions, but that they were trained for. Uh, that's you know, thirty thousand foot view of what it means to to digitize and automate these workflows, uh, and like I said, by clinical oriented varies, but hopefully it like, just gives you a flavor of it.
1: Yeah. So, um, can, can I chime in? Yeah, please, please. So, So when I think of digitizing a healthcare workflow, I look at it from the perspective of both the workforce as well as from the patient. So from the workforce perspective, as you know, Matt, there is a significant shortage of providers in healthcare so when we have things within the care pathway that are repetitive and not very interesting and don't require a high level of thought those things are readily digitized and automated and allows our caregivers to do things that are more interesting to them and allows them to function to the top of their license. From a patient perspective, and this is how I look at things, I want to answer as quickly as possible. So I don't want to go through three different phone trees in order to get a live person when I have a simple question, like where are my medications? What medications am I supposed to be on? I want an answer quickly, and I don't mind if those uh, that answer is automated because it's a repetitive, simple task. So that's really how I look at what is appropriate to digitize. And one of the things that I liked about working with MANAV and Memora is we were able to introduce people when we felt it was necessary to have them within the workflow.
0: Excellent. Um, last question, which you know this is kind of a personal thing the last several years i've been working with you know go to market for ai and machine learning platforms tell me about if you can what you can about how you're leveraging artificial intelligence or machine learning if you are for this tool
2: sure there's there's three really big ways that we leverage ai the first really big way is in the actual conversational experience that patients have using Memora. So Memora is intended to be an extension of the care team for these patients. The purpose of these programs is we can automate a lot of the non-top of license work for these providers and then pair it with these extremely high touch patient journeys that somebody will get entirely over SMS. So they're not downloading an app, they're not logging into a portal. Goes back to the original mission of making it as easy as it is for them to text their family or friends. They'll get a text from Memora and they can have a full conversational experience where they can text in questions, uh, they can send in open-ended answers to different surveys that we're sending them, things like that. So processing all of those responses is one really big way that we use AI and there's a lot of highly customized classifiers that we've designed to be able to do that. The second really big way that we're leveraging AI as a company is in understanding how different clinical protocols actually perform. So we have all sorts of kind of analytics motions internally that allow us to understand, Hey, if we're digitizing, just to give you an example, let's say a heart failure management program at one one hospital, and then we go to hospital number two, digitizing heart failure management program. And then hospital number three, we're doing the same thing we should be able to understand why does one program perform better than the other, right? And, and conduct analytics on how different care protocols actually work in different populations. So there's a lot of, honestly, data analysis and some very basic AI tools that we leverage there. But second, the third really big way is around how we actually manage these protocols in, over time. So as we scale as a company, There's all of these additional protocols and workflows that we get asked to build out and our ability to make sure that we're using best in class medical information to do so is largely hinged on the number of resources that we have. If we can accelerate that by using AI to actually aggregate insights that are in the public domain, develop that into these kind of clinical protocols or analyze incoming data on these clinical protocols from these sites. And then have our clinical team that's in-house actually review it, refine it, uh, add the right design principles to make sure that it's highly engaging for the patients and appropriate for the care teams, and then roll it out. Uh, It makes a lot of their work a lot more scalable. So those, those would be the three big ways that we're leveraging AI. Some of it is around these kind of newer generative tools like LLMs that have been introduced. Some of it is in more traditional NLP practices that we've been using for the last eight years as a company. Um,
0: thanks for giving us some insight on that. I think throughout the show, we've talked providers, we've talked patients, we've discussed the importance of when a patient leaves the hospital, how we're reaching them at their own homes um, and succeeding at the last mile. Uh, the following question for both of you you know, if there was one soundbite, connected to this uh, podcast and it was like less than a minute and it had your name attached to it and the public was gonna listen to just a one minute of you. Uh, what would you say um, about your experience with Memorial Health and the topic at hand, which is reaching patients at their homes and taking good care of them using modern tools. David, uh, I'll start with you.
1: Making healthcare simple for every patient every time. Thanks, David. Monet. At the end of the day,
2: our mission is to be able to improve the overall health outcomes that our entire healthcare system is able to accomplish and make it as easy as possible for patients to be able to navigate their care, and in some cases as easy as it is for them to text their family and friends.
0: Gentlemen, thank you for joining me today on the Digital Health Roundtable. Thanks, Thanks, Matt. Matt. This has been the Digital Health Roundtable. We'll see you next time. This has been the Digital Health Roundtable. I'm Matt Sobolski. Join us next time for another episode. Follow us on Substack and subscribe.
1: We'll see you soon.